Welcome to More Than A Few Words. Welcome to More Than A Few Words, a marketing conversation for small business owners. MTFW is a production of Rampeg, where we help small businesses become big businesses. As always, you can join the conversation by calling in with your questions at 805-285-9865. Or you can share your thoughts on Twitter. Be sure to use the hashtag MTFW. Now, let's get the conversation started. Hi, everybody. This is Lorraine. And I'm Allison. Hey, everybody. And this week, we are going to be talking about content that only you can create. A um, little change of pace. Instead of having a guest this week, um, we're going to uh, talk about some topics that are really kind of hot with us here at Roundpeg. And actually, um, in the months to come, you'll probably see more of these kind of programs. Sorry, you're stuck with us. Yeah. Key. <laughs> no, roll with it. Um, if you do call in, just kind of a quick reminder, we're happy to have you call and listen in. If you want to join the conversation, be sure to push the one key on your telephone so I'll know that you want to ask a question or join us. I am going to launch the chat room, and so we're looking forward to uh, hearing from you as well. Okay. So today's conversation really came about um, from a series of conversations that we've been having here in the office about what makes good blog content. Yeah, one of the things that I was noticing is, you know, as content marketing has gained more widespread acceptance and more people are using it, it begins to kind of all blur together. Many of the blog posts sound interchangeable, like they could come from anywhere. And the thing that really set me off was what I call what X can teach you about Y posts. What is a what X can teach you about Y? What the post resignation can teach you about social media. What the carnival triumph disaster can teach you about your small business. What the Oreo halftime show tweet during the Super Bowl can teach you about your love life. All sorts of ridiculous connections. Now, in theory, and you know me, I'm, I'm sort of the queen of the metaphor. I've noticed this, yes. And I also do look for lessons in life. And so on the surface, those kind of posts kind of appeal to me, taking something that is current and applying it to your business. But, but I'm not necessarily opposed to that tactic. I'll be real up front here just in case anybody's cruising our blog archives. I've written posts like this. If you go back in the archive and look for me, you'll find a couple posts that use this structure. I'm guilty. But at the same time, using particularly that naming structure, it is very, very common to see what X can teach you about Y. That becomes very monotonous, and so it becomes kind of what I call mad lib content. <laughs> All that you have to do is fill in the blanks with whatever's hot that day, and then the second blank is social media, small business, personnel, authenticity, whatever is the douchey buzzword that particular day. And I, I think part of the challenge is that, um, and I see it in my blog reader, and every now and then I have to kind of change out who I'm following. Um, three and four years ago, there weren't as many people that were writing. Now, everybody and their brother is writing a blog. They're all social media experts. Oh, yeah. And... So people that um, really don't know what to write about are jumping on these very easy. It's either what 
X can teach you about Y or five things that will save your life, business <laughs> or marriage. Correct. And again, if you go to the Round Peg blog, you will see plenty of lists from us. You will, you will see many, many of them, and you will continue to see those. We've made a pledge here at Round Peg not to do any of that. What X can teach you about Y content, but I will tell you right here now, you will see lists from us, and there's one simple reason that you'll continue to see lists from us, which is that lists perform well. People like lists. They like the um, uh, the idea that maybe if they read that blog post, they will learn everything that they need to know to solve the world's problems in 350 words. It's very appealing to think that by following 5, 7, 10, even 50 steps, that there is a simple, linear solution to all of our problems, that what works for one person is going to be transferable to you. And the fact of the matter is, Life doesn't work that way. So while, while you will continue to see answers, and there is real value in that, not because that number of steps will help you solve, will help solve your particular problem, but because it gives you a way to give advice in short, digestible, easily scannable bites, which is how people consume content on the Internet. And I think the, the small bites, and I do like the you know, three to five kind of takeaways. I like bulleted lists. I'm a big fan of, you know, bolded titles, a couple of, of takeaways. Um, I think the challenge if you're going to take that approach is you got to say something different. Yes. And that gets back to really this, the primary theme of today's conversation, this idea of content only you can create. Lots of people did reviews when Google Reader said they were going away. Uh, and they, a lot of people reviewed Feedly and some other tools, and I continue to see those reviews. I wrote one, but I made sure that when I wrote it, I talked about my experience and how I was using it, which was unique. Mm -hmm. Other people will use it differently, and they will like it or not like it for different reasons. There are really two different ways, and they can overlap, but there are really two main ways doing this content only you can create. The first is to make the subject matter different. So maybe this means doing independent research more deeply into a topic. This is something that people like Kevin Mullet at Sirius ABS is great at doing. Our friends over at Slingshot SEO, they're great at digging down into data and finding connections and finding new information other people haven't found before. They're not going to be spitting out those generic kinds of posts. Though they do use some of those types of lists and what the X will teach you about why. Um, the other way is saying things in a way that only you could say them. So maybe you are taking a topic that's more familiar, but you're spinning it in a new way. And I would say a good example of that is if anybody reads Erica Napolitano, she used to be redheaded writing, she just rebranded to just her name. She doesn't really say anything that, that that's too crazy or outside the box, but she says it in a very raw, honest, profanity-laced sort of way. So you can obviously, it's great if you're both, but you have to either choose your topic needs to be unique or your voice needs to be unique. So for companies that are looking to create content, content, okay, nobody else can write about the adventures of Clyde and Truman except for us. Correct. Now, I wouldn't fill our entire blog with stories of Clyde and Truman, but the occasional conversation about our office cats or a blog post about a team building session or an adventures in dining, 
that's unique to us. And every company has those unique events, which add wonderful dimension to a company blog. That really comes down to building culture, which I think is very important. What culture is, what, what I consider it, is culture is a way of helping uh, both clients and prospective employees understand what experience they're going to have before they walk through your doors. And so your blog is a great way to introduce, expand, build on culture. Um, certainly you can stay closer to subject, uh, to things, to your subject matter expertise. Mm -hmm. um, working with heating and air conditioning contractors. Mm -hmm. There's only so many different ways you can write about changing out filters. I think I found all of them. <laughs> but a photograph or a profile of an individual service tech, um, a description about equipment donated to a Habitat for Humanity home, um, a unique letter from a customer. Mm -hmm. I would say it's even more than that. I would say it's also showing showing instead of telling people what makes you different from your competitor. So for instance, to jump back to us, because I know us best, um, what we haven't, what we, is different about us from other marketing firms is we give marketing advice in plain English. We don't like to use jargon. We don't like to use a lot of technical terms. We want to talk about it in very understandable ways. So that is something that infiltrates everything we do and approaches both the kinds of content we produce as well as the way that it sounds when it's produced. So it's not just about culture. It's not just about showing these visual representations, so that plays into it, but it's also about showing people instead of telling them what makes you unique. The idea that um, how it, 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 it's how you say it, it is, um, I can tell you all day long that I'm really smart um, or that we're really good at what we do, and, and this goes for any of the companies that we work with, but a case study mm -hmm. that talks about a client's experience with the company, whether it's with us or whether one of our clients, um, that's going to be a unique adventure into the inner workings of that company. Right, but even just more classic content marketing, which doesn't quite include the, the marketing for us that a case study can, it's important as a way to demonstrate your expertise and things that you know and ways that you know of doing them that nobody else is thinking about. And so, you know, you can tell people, you know, oh, we're the foremost widget manufacturer and our knowledge of widgets is, is unmatched. Are you going to believe what someone says? Everybody says that kind of puffery, you know, in their in their advertising and marketing. Or are you going to believe when you read a blog post that shows you a side of that widget manufacturing that you've never read about before that gives you new insight and new ideas? That's going to mean so much more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and whether it's about how the widget is manufactured, maybe it's a short video walking through the manufacturing plant, introducing you to the guy on the line that's packaging the widget. And maybe it's um, a Wait. story of, of how the widget is used. Yes, ways to use your widget that you've never thought of, things that you've discovered, things that you've learned. This is your chance to show what, why they should buy with you instead of that customer down the road without saying that in such explicit terms. It's, um, 
Um, why don't we talk about, because you just did a presentation recently on this topic, and you really dove into uh, some great examples back at Bill Indy a week or two ago of both good and bad uses of content. Um, why don't you do some of the bad ones first? Um, Everybody loves the bad ones, don't they? And, um, and, then, we'll, and then we'll go yeah. over to, to some of our favorites and companies, I think, that are doing it well. Yes. Um, I think that one of the biggest ways that people are really blending in these days is by using memes. Now, using memes, which are those ubiquitous little bits of Internet culture, you know, uh, those would be things like Grumpy Cat, those would be things like the Ain't Nobody Got Time for That Quote, uh, the gymnast. She appeared everywhere with the uh, Kayla is not, not impressed, uh, that sort of thing. There goes just ramble Gangnam Style, um, Heart of Shake, all of that stuff. Remember when that was that week when literally every brand on the planet seemed to be releasing their Harlem Shake video with profound, well, I actually have refused to ever watch one, but it seems to me that they were profoundly uncomfortable office workers being forced <laughs> into wild gyrations. Do you, do you remember yeah, that? I do. Like, Everybody and their brother was coming out with those. And so as a result, not a single one of them stood out because they were all doing the same thing. And they were all trying to show how fun and hip and quirky and with it and they understood the urban culture and all that kind of stuff. They kind of just looked like idiots and they all looked like idiots. Remember when the Macarena was big? Mm -hmm. It's like that, except we can spread this more quickly because we have the Internet much more widely now. Okay, so... Um you know, in that case, everybody was jumping on the Harlem Shake bandwagon. And we were talking kind of in, in, as we were talking about that, we were talking about an example of the Oreo cookies. Yeah. Where they literally created their own bandwagon. They did create their own bandwagon. Um, Oreo, some of the smartest marketers in the game right now, if you go to their Facebook page, uh, they had several months where every day or most days they would release an original bit of artwork. And this would be something that was either tied in with current events, tied in with the holiday, tied in with, with something like that. So it might be, the one I, my favorite is the day that the Mars Curiosity rover landed on Mars. They did, a, it was an Oreo cookie with the top taken off, the cream was dyed red, and it has two little tire tracks on it, just like the Mars rover's tire treads. And it said, you know, congratulations, Mars rover. It was the simplest damn thing. It showed their product, but it also showed a very fun, playful sense of humor and a very distinct aesthetic. And they did this for months. Everything from when Prince William was, was like knighted a knight of the thistle or something, I don't remember, um, to Nash the All Star game. It was something. There um absolutely I mean it's always um uh, uh you almost come to expect it. I look forward to going to the Oreo cookie page um, because the posts um, are charming and they're funny, but they had sort of built this machine and people were used to looking at their stuff and used to sharing it, and then came the Super Bowl. On the Super Bowl, if you all will recall, there was that minor, you know, incident where the half of the stadium was plunged into complete darkness, which, you know, I'm just really glad it happened in New Orleans and not in Indianapolis, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's probably not very nice. Yeah, but, but that's their problem, not ours. Exactly. So anyway, the lights went out. Some some Twitter brands were, you know, trying to vamp and be cute. And there were some clever things. 
But Oreo, because they spent months developing that, that visual style, that brand voice, and they had the infrastructure in place, they were immediately able to turn out an image of it was, it was something very simple, like a cookie being dumped into a glass, dumped into a glass of milk, but said you can still dunk in the dark. They were using the same vocabulary they'd established. They were using the same visual language. They were hopping on their own bandwagon. And in doing so, they enhanced their brand. Everybody was suddenly talking about Oreo. They look like complete geniuses. But the thing that people miss is it's not just about what happened that night. Mm -hmm. That campaign would not have been so successful if they had not just spent the past three or four months fine-tuning, perfecting that, and creating their own bandwagon. I mean, that, that was when I saw that I was so impressed with them as marketers because they had done a beautiful job of laying groundwork. Um, it is so typical of this idea that um, it only takes about, you know, it takes years and years of work to be an overnight success. And, and they totally did it. If you, if you do this right, if you do this consistently, mm -hmm. it gets easier. Mm -hmm. um, the first time you try to figure out, I think, what your voice is and how you want to approach something, it takes a long time to write mm -hmm. that first blog post. And there's lots of writing and rewriting. But the more you do it, um, and I mean, I see that when we write for other brands. Mm -hmm. The longer we write for another brand, the easier it is to switch into that dialect and switch into that tone. And that's a very hard thing to do. I find that this is actually easier when we're working for clients and much harder when you're trying to do it internally. I would say that when I came on at Roundpeg, there was not really a cohesive brand voice as much. Would you, would you say that's fair? There was not a cohesive voice. There was certainly a company attitude, mm -hmm. but the attitude was not always supported appropriately by the work. Right, and so when, when we started talking about what we wanted to sound like, who we wanted to be, and there were a lot of discussions about that, I would say it probably took a good nine months to a year before that was implemented consistently across every member of the company. And every now and then I still trip across mm -hmm. a page on a website or um, an old proposal that I, I reach and go, oh, I'll just repackage this or this, and I'm like, wow, that doesn't sound like us anymore. And you know, my favorite example um, outside of us of people creating great brand voices is, um, have you ever seen Sue the T-Rex? Oh, from the, from the museum in Chicago. The Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, one of the finest museums in the world, one of my personal favorites. It's home to the uh, most complete T-Rex skeleton in the world, and her name is Sue. <laughs> She's charming. And Sue has a Twitter account. And Sue, it says right in her bio that she's a Leo, she enjoys long walks, oh, and she's the world's greatest apex predator. She's got this very snarky, funny sense of humor. She's always joking about, you know, eating people. She's joking about, you know, other dinosaurs, and there's news about other dinosaurs. She talks about them the day after St. Patrick's Day. She said, hey, I'm just saying, museums are often quiet and full of fountains if you need, if you need to nurse your hangover. I'm just saying. She's not the voice that you expect from a museum. Mm -hmm. She's going after a much younger, hipper demographic that doesn't want the same staid, academic voice that they use on the main field museum account, which they have. This is very much targeted at a younger audience because you need to cultivate those people so they, in turn, when they have kids and they get more earning potential, they are your next layer of donors. And then that, I think, is one of the, the really cool things that you can do with social media. You can have 
multiple voices for a company. Um, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you 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 have to, um, uh, and sometimes you have to sub-brand or rebrand. Re and, and you know, one of the examples of one of the clients that we work with, Randall Bean, mm -hmm. is a very they're your grandma's favorite they, beans. They, they are. They're your grandmother's favorite beans. But this is a company that has big dreams and has, um, has relatively new owners that really think this is a, um, a product category that can appeal to a younger, more active demographic um, and people who are interested in healthy lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And rather than trying to sell that idea mm -hmm. through the Randall Beans website, which is all about recipes and home cooking, and it's very comfortable and warm. They came out with a second brand, Powered by Beans. That's Jason Bean. We gave him a T-shirt. Um, but that's about sports, and it's about healthy lifestyles, and it's really um, a precursor to some of the new products that they also want to come out with. But I will say that before you sub-brand, you must have a very clear idea of who the main brand oh. is. You must understand how that sub-brand is going to support and enhance the main brand. It cannot be contradictory. No, you couldn't. Um, we could not with, in that case, um, powered by beans, as cool and hip as they want to be, there still isn't going to be um, even, not even X, but there isn't even going to be R-rated language or there anything. There really isn't going to be PG-13. It's, yeah. it's still about being very family-friendly. It's very family-oriented. It's still about gathering around those tables. It's just, you know, it might be a more extreme table. <laughs> yeah, outside of ski lot lift. Or, yeah. yeah, it's just a little bit more high-end, but the, the core feeling mm -hmm. is the same. It's just that the outer trappings are what's different. So without really understanding the heart and soul of your brand, do not attempt to sub-brand because then you'll just wind up with a splintery mess. And um, even for companies, I think, that are good at marketing, and, and I would like to think that we are good at marketing, it is, um, it's a long process to really define voice. You know, it's very difficult for people. I find that people are often really unaware of what makes their own voice. It's very difficult for most people to see. Mm -hmm. um, when I was at Conseco, and this I think was a, a one, there were so many things that were wrong with that company uh, in 1999, 2000, 2001. <laughs> but what was right was the things they were doing with marketing. Mm -hmm. They had clearly identified that they were not going to go after high net worth individuals because every one of their competitors did. They clearly were going after middle America. We had a brand guide. I had a list of 25 words my writers were not allowed to use. We could not use anything that ended in I-Z-E. It sounded pretentious and uppity, and it wasn't who we were about. Um, we had photographs in all our graphic designers' areas that basically um, you had a picture of a French poodle with a line through it and a golden retriever that was clearly saying, you know, we were, we wanted to be the golden retriever. We wanted to be the daisy, not the rose. And um, as you're looking to create your, your brand voice and you're thinking about content that is unique for you, think not just about the words, 
but about the visual, about the emotions. When I was a carrier, um, Bryant was um, written like checkered tablecloths and Dodge minivans. And Carrier was a croissant and coffee, a woman with a briefcase and a Cadillac. One of the big questions we always ask people when we sit down and start marketing with them is, how do you want people to feel about your brand? And that is where developing your voice starts. Mm -hmm. What do you want your customers to not, not think about you, feel about you? That is where voice starts. It is, I think, difficult sometimes to separate out how someone feels about you versus how they feel about your brand and your company. And this is not an issue that is unique to small businesses. Oh, no. Um, I, uh, I saw that at Carrier. I've seen that with people who work at GE. The executives of the company are not always representative of the customers. Oh, God, no. And that's a huge disconnect. Um, we have some clients today that are selling a product that is targeted at a blue-collar working-class community, and that's great. It's the right product. It's in the right market. But the owners are not part of that community, don't really, don't really understand that world, and getting them to adjust their voice to talk to that community has been an interesting transition. Okay, so we are about out of time. I want to encourage you, if you've enjoyed today's conversation, um, check out our blog post for today. There's a copy of Allison's slides from her only content you can create um, presentation that she gave at Build Indiana a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I'll actually be giving it next week on the 9th. Um, if we have any of our northern Indiana friends listening, I'll actually be up at the um, Cancer Center in Fort Wayne on uh, April 9th. I believe that's at 1130. Um, so make sure that you check that out for more information. It's a great lunch series, it's a great cause, and it's going to be really fun. Awesome. Uh, and then I'm going to actually be having a similar presentation in Chicago um, at the CMS Expo. I'm not just going to be talking about content you can create. Uh, it's also just about how not to let your social media, not social media, but your content, uh, your content program, basically managing your content program instead of letting it manage you. Oh, man, that's something so many people struggle with. And, and it's kind of having the balance. And I'm also going to let you steal some slides from Allison's presentation, too. I don't think I authorized that. Yeah, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can go back to the original artist who created some of those. Oh, shit. <laughs> we, we, we share that resource. All right, I guess I'll allow that. I'll let the copyright go. <laughs> but... Uh, so you'll certainly have lots of opportunities um, to see the content um, or to see us um, sharing this information. If you've uh, enjoyed today's conversation, we hope that you'll come back. Next week we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. We're going to be talking to T. Ray Phillips about um, succession planning. And I think this is something that most business owners wait until it's too late to think about. Um, I think a lot of business owners don't realize how long it takes to structure a plan that will let you get out of your business and leave the business running. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Okay. Yet. Chill. 
Jill, no, 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 you're stuck with me for more than a few years. <laughs> but we'll, um, we'll be back um, next week at 4.30. Um, I hope you guys like the new time. And, again, if you'd like to check out our blog, you can find more information at roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.